0: We're here to talk to Mr. Cody Webb, our uh, number one winner last year at the 2018 Revlimer Extreme Enduro. We're back for the 2019 Kinda Revlimer Extreme Enduro. I think the question that has been on everybody's mind as we come into another year of Extreme Enduro slash Hard Enduro is, is it Extreme Enduro or is it Hard Enduro? And why would you choose one or the other to refer
1: to it? You know, that's, that's interesting. I've thought of that before, but, uh, Extreme sounds we better. We go really deep. Extreme mm-hmm. sounds better. Extreme enduro. But then the American extreme ex- enduro, like the news tagline American hardeneduro, that kind of flows better to me than American extreme enduro. So as a generic term, I like saying extreme enduro because it sounds higher. It's about the amount of syllables that you can or cannot put together in one sentence? Yeah, something like that. American hard it flows nice and it's called it ah, for short. But, uh, you know, I like Extreme Enduro, and I'm going to stick with it.
0: I'm okay with that. So we're at the Revlim Extreme Enduro, and then we have people that cover these series in as Hard Enduro Outfitters, or American Hard Enduro, some of the guys that are coming from Tennessee, right? So maybe that's the way we look at it. Maybe we can call the races Extreme Enduros, and the people that are enthusiasts about that, or the ones that support it, well, Hard Enduro Enthusiasts.
1: Hard Enduro Enthusiasts, yeah, I love it. All right,
0: so now that we've bored you all to death with that, no. I think it's interesting that we're starting to see a lot more extreme enduros pop up, hard enduros, whatever you want to call them. And especially in America, we've noticed throughout the years, like what you've seen at Erzberg, when you first started going to that event, the crazies that would come out of the woodworks to do that event. And they may only ride two or three times a year, but they wanted something to challenge themselves. And we're seeing growth within America now, within these extreme enduros and these hard enduros. You're getting to partake in the series this year. What are your thoughts on that, having been a TKO participant, a trials rider, and now making a living competing at these events?
1: Yeah, you know, I love to see the progression of where it's gone, and it was just, you know, I don't know, David Knight was winning Erzberg back in the day, and then Taddy, some trials guy, came out of nowhere and just dominated five years in a row, and I think that really kind of spiked the whole sport, and it's grown ever since then, I mean, Earthbury's been around for 25 years now, something like that. It's just kind of only been in the last 10 years where we've seen a huge gain and having companies like Red Bull helping promote it. It just brings it to a whole new level. And now everyone, you guys can watch it completely live. So I think it's great. And even now, like with social media, it's so easy to just go and find anything, whether it's YouTube, Instagram, and even on in America, like in America here now, like I'll just randomly go to Instagram and go to the explore page. I and mean, there's people I've never even heard of are, like, going up these Maori canyons that look worse and stuff I ride at home, and I I want to go there. Like, people are out of here and in Colorado, and I don't think they're even doing races. I think they just spread the time. And I feel yeah. it. I think that that was a call-out for anybody that
0: does post that kind of stuff. It was, Cody Wood would like you to tag him in it, and then say, you cover the expenses, and I'll come
1: ride with you. Is that- yeah, that's fair game for sure. I mean, it has to be a KTM, if they got a bike forming around.
0: ride. Or just no okay, candles. It has to be a KTM. <laughs> uh, so... At the Red Limit Street Enduro, what we've seen, we're, we're coming into the third year, right? That's pretty awesome, and I think we've seen not just a lot of growth here at this event, but around that now we're having this American Hard Enduro Series that AMA is sponsoring. But specifically, Mark Cook has tried to really step it up this year in adding a lot, a lot more technical obstacles uh, for you racers to enjoy out there on the course. Having walked it from what you raced last year and now walked it this year, what have you seen, what are your thoughts, and do you see the progression going in the correct direction for what these
1: races, in your mind, should be? Yeah, I haven't got to see as much as I'd like to yet today, but, you know, I walked the main event course for Sunday, and it definitely looked tougher than it was last year, so that's good to see. I like seeing stuff like that and the progression of the sport. I mean, a couple years ago, you know, I thought Herzberg was really hard, and then just last year, walking it before I got hurt, it was like, I have to go down that? Like, what? No way! It was almost kind of a blessing that I got her to do it, but it's it's crazy to see how quickly this is changing. I mean, this is only a third year, third year here now. I went I missed the first year. I was really impressive the last year, and just everything leading up to it again this year. I think it's going to be even bigger and better, and we're having this whole thing and just more Im- more involvement, more of a presence online. So you know, it looks big, and more people get interested, and want to come and kind of see what it's all about.
0: You're defending this year coming in. And we've got Wade Young, Mario Roman, uh, we've got dudes coming from Hawaii, dudes from Canada, other like racers flying in, renting bikes to come to this event. How do you feel about defending your number one here at Revlimer? Is it just like any other race? Do you treat every race different when you are defending it? Uh, how, how do you mentally think about those kinds of events when you come into them?
1: Yeah, for me, I think the hardest event of the year has to, I I was earlier, it has to be like Tennessee knockouts. I went up six times in the row, so the pressure is like crazy, not just for myself, but everyone, all the locals that show up and expect me to go win again. So that's really tricky. But, um, you know, for me, I just want to be confident, and I know I've been uh, working hard at home. You know, I've been on the 350 doing super and drill and drill cross stuff for like months now, and I haven't really been in my 2 strokes since Tennessee knockout, and, Robbie, the mechanic, set me up with a bike a couple weeks ago, and I've just been having a blast riding that thing. It's been so fun to just go out and explore. And I think just being, having fun with it, putting in the hard work and confidence is, is key. And I'm looking forward to the weekend and seeing how it ends out. Awesome. He mentioned Robbie,
0: the mechanic. Mechanics use tools. Motion Pro is giving away tools. And we've decided that those of you that would like to ask questions to Mr. Cody Webb, Mr. Chris has a microphone. He will walk over to you. Raise your hand if you have a question right now for Mr. Cody Webb, and you will get yourself a Motion Pro tool. We would love to see him. I Look at it. He's just burning. There it is. We've got a question. no, Two oh, questions. You were too slow. Don't
1: worry. We'll get to you, sir. We've got plenty of tools. I don't want to let you guys know this is my idea about the Motion Pro. I thought it was something that uh, it's reliable. You know, you break your, you break your bike on the trail, you need to, be able to get back. So i I come close to being scanned a couple times at home, and... Fanny uh, Pack has saved me quite want like to When it comes to specialty
0: tools, I guess everybody has a box full of you know, chains and everything else. But the question I had is when the four-strokes first came out, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, et cetera, et cetera, they were supposedly easier to ride in gnarly terrain. You know, they didn't wheel spin, they didn't break loose, and yet now we're seeing two-strokes coming back and taking over. Well, what has actually changed in the two-stroke of today
1: versus the two-stroke when four-strokes took over? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. And just last weekend I was riding with Kyle Redman on some extreme stuff, and we kind of got the similar way of that same question asked by someone else, and we thought about it, and you know, at that time, when four-strokes were kind of bringing in a new, being new on the scene, um, their level of extreme lighting wasn't quite to what it is now today. It was almost kind of like the transfers we do from spot to spot. So at that time, I'll agree with you 100%. The force strokes on some stuff, this is not too technical. It, it tracks so well and you can just pick your way apart and ride by right field if you have momentum. But nowadays with the stuff Mark Scott set up here and those and and the other events, like you get stuck in something and that the extra weight of the bike on the force makes it a lot harder to deal with. And then if you're getting hung up and stuck, the force just runs so much harder that, I mean, no matter what you do, it. You can have a fan on your bike because, you know, then if you change your coolant, your motor's going to get really hot and your clutch starts to fade. So there's just more more things that can go wrong with the four-stroke, and the two-strokes have just been so reliable. And, you know, now they're going to the TPI with KTM, so it kind of takes away the part of jetting and fine-tuning it. So it, it's kind of handy now kind of become like what the four-strokes are. So, you know, for sure... If you're kind of an average go guy and do a little bit of heavy riding and some technical stuff, but nothing too crazy, I think a four-stroke's a great bike. It tracks super well, but once you really start pushing the edge, um, you know, for me and a lot the other guys, obviously, it's throw on two-strokes. So it just kind of makes life a little bit easier, and if something goes wrong, it's uh, cheaper and easier to fix as well. The guy right next to you, Chris, he was, he was just ready to go.
0: So as a uh, fellow ME, I think it's really cool that you have an engineering degree and uh, and still doing really cool stuff on a bike. Where do you see that coming into your future? Because you, I doubt you're doing an awful lot of engineering right now, or maybe you are.
1: Where where does that go, and how do those two fit together? The
0: Cody Web toolkit will be coming
1: out. <laughs> <make it. laughs> no, um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm out there. I'm still enjoying riding too much and. I worked a little bit when I first uh, turned 18 to 22 steam cleaning tractors and it wasn't very fun. So riding a lot more fun. But you know I wanted to get my degree and I got it done and for a while, uh, it was about a, a little over a year I was interning slash working I guess at Bell Helmets because they're not too far from me. So I was doing a lot of pad work and breaking things in the lab which was fun. But um, again I, I had a lot of fun breaking helmets and testing things in the lab with the Impact test, but when they put me on the computer to do CAD, then I wasn't having fun anymore. So uh, luckily, that ended, and I got back to writing. So you know, I I don't know exactly what I want to do yet, but uh, when the time comes, I guess I'll get the feeling for what I want to do. And but obviously, I want to do something in like the research and development side of things, and I I would love to be a tester where I get to you know I have the abilities. Uh, Technical-wise, from riding and then the schooling to understand how things work, and basically put those two together and keep improving things. Don't
0: worry, we're going to continue to ask questions as we go through this. I w- you mentioned on the TPI bike, and I want to kind of touch in a little bit on that. While we were walking out there, I did get a chance to, to walk and talk with the Cody Weber. It's very interesting watching you pick your line choices and realize that you're probably just going to ride over everything. But you mentioned that I might change my gearing. And it got me thinking, I was like, oh, okay, Like Cody Webb is walking the track, the trail, and, and notating. I'm probably going to tell Robbie we want to change some gearing. What made you say that? What are the things that when you're out there that you see that go, well, we brought a bike out here with these clicking, these suspension settings. We're going to change these. We came up with this gearing. I want to change that. So what's the mindset coming in, and then how do you see things out there to then realize I need to make adjustments?
1: Yeah, it all leads back to basically your time on the bike and riding at home and being comfortable. Like I know how my bike feels in a lot of situations at home and riding technical stuff and then we came out here and I walked a lot of the stuff and everything here is not like a really big mountain or uh or you know, like a big long run or something. It's really tight, kinda narrow and you don't really have a good run in anything. There's not a big you know, trees in the way and everything and you gotta pick your way apart and personally I don't really like being in first gear. Um, the bike just spins so quickly and you spin out and second gear, a lot of times, it's if, uh, if gearing's a little bit taller than this stuff. You know, if it was a big hill climb at Erzberg where you can just rip wide open up it, I would leave my bike just the way it is. But after walking, we're going to try it tomorrow and see how it feels a little bit easier course. And uh, basically I want to try and possibly gear it down because everything's so short, I want to be in second gear, especially if it's raining. I don't want the tire to spin. I want the t- bike to hook up. So with taller gearing when we were walking, I was saying, "Oh, I think the bike's going to lug a little bit too much and I'll probably stall it more than I want to. So, you know, I just kind of take notes as I'm in my head, as I'm walking things, see how I'm going to plan out and do it. And that's why getting here a little bit early walking things also helps a lot because you, you have an idea of what it's going to feel like later on on the bike.
0: Right, and. Uh, I think you also get a chance to do awesome Q and A events like this that Red Bull, one
1: of your main sponsors, puts on. Thumbs up, Red Bull. Yeah, you know, Chris at Red Bull here asked me if I wanted to do something, and I was like, "Well, I'll be there early, and I want to just help the sport of uh, American hard enduro grow because um, you know I really enjoy it, and I think it's on the rise right now. So, anyways, I just want to help everyone out.
0: And one more TBI thing. I believe, if I remember correctly. Last year when you came, that was the, one of the first times that you had actually ridden a TPI bike and had never raced it. Now you've been on it for a lot longer, so what was that like coming to that event, or coming to this event, and being on a TBI bike and having never raced it? And then now that you've been on it for a year and racing that bike throughout the world, you know where are you at now with that technology, with that bike, and maybe things you've learned that we would have no idea about? Yeah. So
1: last year uh, we barely got the bike ready in time because we didn't have any of the parts because it just uh, basically had just been released. Normally we're late to getting the bikes on the side on the off-road side of things, and then somehow we got early. But um, you know, I rode the bike the day before the event for the first time ever in a local riding area around here, and I didn't really ride much because I was so cold I couldn't hold on to the bike very well. And, I thought it was pretty good and then we raced it and i was like oh it's all right and then we kept riding some more and that's when i started noticing some difference and i wasn't quite as comfortable as i was on the carbureted bike and then fortunately with the help of factor ktm i got to go to europe before the whole west season started and we did some early pre-season testing and they came out with new throttle position sensors which ended up coming up on all the new bikes so i think for all the riders everyone kept saying it was Completely different bike. It had a really natural feel again, like the carbureted bike. So, um, you know, I think they came out really soon and it was a great bike, but there's little things to keep improving on. And the bike from uh, last year at Red until I think in April when I first started racing West, it was incredibly, it was just so good, some little improvements. And, you know, they don't know right off the bat how things are going to be until later. And that's why mechanical engineers. Like me in the future, potentially have this role to keep improving on things. But, you know, honestly, uh, last year I got the job done. And I was on the 250, so it was a little bit trickier. You know, I wasn't, right. you know, I, w- I knew it wasn't going to be like my bike from last year, but now I'm uh, definitely really comf- comfortable on it and confident and know what it's going to do.
0: Right on. I know we definitely had a question here in the front. We'll probably take one more after that and kind of keep the flow going. But we have a lot of tools to give away, so we're going to wonder, get your questions. So don't worry about it my question, part of it, you uh, already asked, referenced the TPI part. Uh, the second part
1: of my question was going to be, um, you're on a W versus, do you ever use an XC or a bike with linkage? Um, and if not, why? Yeah, I used the XC in 2015. Um, and then uh, basically all the guys in Europe were running those bikes and like beating us and I felt like they were riding them for a reason. So I rode one and tested one. and. Right off the bat I realized I wasn't getting hung up on a lot of things just because I didn't have the linkage there anymore. And I'll be honest each bike has its strengths and weaknesses but for the type of riding I do I feel a lot better riding these bikes. You know coming down sketchy downhills and over a log and you know I can get up on the skid pan and push over where if you're on the wink bike it kind of teeters you and it's, it's not as planted. And Going up uh, rocky creek beds I feel like uh, you know the rear I run my suspension pretty soft, I'm sure we'll probably talk about this later, but um, for extreme stuff, I want the bike to react and move quickly. So going up bouncy rocks or creeks or something wet, I feel like the bike's a little more planted in the rear. And you know, if I go on a sand loop track, it doesn't handle right, but the bike's not meant for that. So And that's not what I'm racing. So for me, this is my best opinion, and I feel like a really common question I get online on social media, people ask me messages like, I want a new bike. Should I get the W or the 300 or the XT?" And the first thing I say is, like, well, what kind of t- type of riding you do? I'm not going to give you the answer, and then you're going to be upset. Like, I want to know what you're doing first because each bike has its strength and weakness. So for extreme riding, technical, a little bit slower paced, um, you know, for sure, I think the W is the way to go. And if you're doing cross-country hair and hound stuff out here and, being aggressive and hitting stuff hard, the um, XC is going to be a better option for you.
0: Mr. Chris, Did you were you able to pass the mic off to, I saw a couple more hands that were going around. Any more questions?
1: Yeah, is there any uh, obstacle that you've done where you've looked back and thought, holy, holy cow, I can't believe I just made that? Uh, any event that you look at the same way where you just look back and think, man, that was tough, I can't believe I did that? Yeah, there was this one rock line I did, I think in 2016 or something, down in Southern California, and I was, like, riding by on a trail, and off in the distance, I see this, this magical rock thing that, I, like, it just meant, it was, was meant to be, and I lined it up, and uh, it took me a couple tries, I bet my subframe, crashing off of it, but <laughs> I made it once, and of course, I had to put the time I made it on social media, because so then it's cooler, but uh, after that, I don't know, I was... I probably shouldn't have done it, but I feel like I had to, and I was pretty happy with myself. And in terms of races, um, I don't know. There is birds definitely up there, being able to get on the podium at that event. It's pretty. I'm pretty proud of it. So uh, that's that's in a really tough event. It's not as long as you know, event like Romaniacs or whatnot, but just the prestigiousness of it. Uh, first of all, thank
0: you for talking to us. We really appreciate it. Um, so I'm a fairly new father. My boys will be two in March, and I guess they they like watching you guys on TV already and everything. So if you had to give advice on how to get to Cody Webb's level, where would you like want to start? Then is it like a well-rounded thing, or should they focus on one discipline? Or if, if I could, they need a sausage sausage too? <laughs> one so they can be a thousand. I don't know a
1: sausage a so was like 22. A liar. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I don't know, I look back on how my career went and I don't know, growing up, I think I started on a bike when I was three or four and my dad competed trials and my mom always told me that dirt bikes and class were dangerous so I wasn't allowed to have a dirt bike. So I rode trials my whole life and that's all I did and I think now the kids are even more fortunate than where I was. Like, when I was growing up, you have like a TY80 for a trials bike, and that was like 1976 technology, like it was pretty outdated. Now everyone can buy an offset. I think those are huge to teaching kids technical skills right off the bat. So I wish I had one of those, but the battery probably caught fire when I was kind of my age. And I don't know if lithium was where it is today <laughs> this, but I think for sure it's making them a little more more rounded. And I don't think the kids want, they didn't want to go fast and hit jumps when they're young, but I think getting them on uh, like an offset and pulling their skills a lot with throttle control and standing on the pegs, I think that's really important, being on the balls of your feet, because kids growing up now, they put them on a PW50 with training wheels, and that's kind of like the worst way to teach a kid how to ride. Like, um, You know, you, you get a new puppy, and you put it in the house, you put pee pads, it's going to pee on the pee pads and not like outside like you want it to. You put a kid with training wheels, it's going to rely on the training wheels. you got to retrain it again. Well, out the training wheels, but I think having an offset and striders and teaching them the balance side of things, and then they're set to go. And I think a mixture of enduro and trials and motocross, whatever they want to do, is the best. I only did trials, and then I was really slow, and I had to learn how to go fast later on. Yeah, learn how to go slow before <laughs> Um, to a
0: little off uh, I've got a, a couple. 12 to 4 right now, and we, we are on the offset train. But look, in the past couple of years, this basic bike has come out, and that's that looks real. That's a really good platform to work your way, work your child from the Strider to maybe an offset because of the fact that they the the where they place their feet is lower, so it's right by where they would have them when they're kicking, um, and as well too the the charging capacity is way easier. having Owning an offset, that's a a nightmare to deal with, to plug in all the time, where the Stasic is just like with your Ryobi, right? You pull off a a lithium battery, plug it into your charger, stick it right back in, so you can have two or three of those ready to go. You don't have to charge it overnight every time. I mean, just because I'm in the midst of it right now, maybe there's... I don't have kids yet, so I'm not... He already (laughs) has a kid, he doesn't know about it yet, okay? It's on the way. Maybe it's baking, who knows? Uh we got another question, we can go for it or we can go into some more. I've got all kinds of stuff. Jojo, let's go with
1: you, and then we're going to, I bet we'll talk about you and Europe and all the fun traveling we've done. Okay, so my question's kind of like a two-part question. Uh, Me as a go. high school student, uh, I'm always trying to figure out how I balance uh, school, work, and racing to become you one day. And then uh, I've got the second part of my question. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you need take better notes in class then, so you remember what <laughs> Uh You know, luckily in high school I went to like a small school and all the teachers knew me. And I, it's funny, they did like a senior roast at the end of the year and the teacher gave me a big envelope that was like massive and he was like, here's Cody's list of excuses for why he had to leave school again. Well, you know, I had a personal relationship with the teachers and they probably didn't support what I was doing, but now maybe if I'm in the local newspaper, they're like, "Oh, I knew that kid." But um, in high school, I think it was a little bit easier because I, I had that relationship with my teachers. Then you go to college; they don't really care as much anymore. And if you're a dirt bike rider, you're ruining really the environment, so they don't support that, of course. Um, so it was tricky. It was just a lot of time management, you know. And if I. You know, at school, when I was in college, I don't remember high school as much anymore as a while ago. I wasn't racing as much then. But in college, you know, every time between class, I would just go to the library or, like, a student learning type center and just do my homework there. And, you know, you just got to crack down and focus on as much as possible. And then if I had a long enough break, I had my road bicycle with me at school, and I would just hop off and go on an hour and a half bike ride and then go back to class that night, sweaty, still from riding. But I didn't care because... There's a bunch of guys in, enduro, in engineering school, so it didn't matter. Um, so you have to manage your time like that. I and mean, then when I'd fly to events later on doing super enduro and stuff in Europe, I'd be writing two or three lab reports at a time on a plane, typing it out. But it's kind of cramped because I'm a little big. So it's just whenever you have that free time, you got to be putting it towards your homework. And that way, you know, if you do your homework correctly, you shouldn't really have to study that much for the test. I don't know that's how I ran it. I guess. Don't have free time. Don't don't just sit there on your couch and scroll through your Instagram, basically. That,
0: oh, I have all kinds of things I can stay there. But now that Red Bull's in charge of it, it's not it's not all seat time right now, is it? We gotta. <laughs>
1: yeah, be it can't be
0: that kind of low brow. So you've traveled the world for a long time. You actually were you you competed at the ISDE, which is awesome on the Enduro side of things, but you were actually competing at the, the ISDE for Trials way before that. So with all of the travels that you've done around the world from Trials to en- Super Enduro to the ISDE and, just, and then following West, even before West, what did you learn about yourself and how you needed to prep for an event? What, what were some of the wins that you came across and what were some of the losses that then made you realize you had to change the way that you had approached the traveling, the racing, and, and being so out of the norm of your daily life?
1: Yeah, you know, being here in the States is not so bad because the, the travel is not as rough. I've driven across the country a couple of times by myself. That wasn't very fun, but luckily those days have kind of passed for me. But, you know, being here in the States with Robbie, it makes it all a lot easier. And convenient is you don't know, have to worry about the time change issue. And luckily, I've flown so much now, and I got smart enough to buy, get a United Airlines. I'm not I'm not sponsored by United, but I got a credit card and just bought, started buying all my flights with them and building points. And now I can sometimes get lucky and get an upgrade going to Europe. And uh, you know, it's, it's so tricky to go over there. And if you've never experienced jet lag, it's really a downer. And it'll be like 3 in the afternoon and you're kind of just not feeling at all. And then all of a sudden it's 3 in the morning and you wake up randomly and you're just like bushy eyed tail ready to go. And, you know, you got to race later that day. So the trickiest part about going to Europe is just kind of getting there early and not going to sleep all day even though your body really wants to and staying awake and trying to sleep all night. So that's the trickiest part. But then in terms of prepping for races, it's just always so different, you know. I... I feel like I have two different types of race things I prefer. for, you know, Super Enduro, Enduro Cross Style, which is a lot different than Extreme Enduro races. So, for me, I really enjoy a lot more riding, prepping and riding extreme stuff, but unfortunately, you know, you go to Erzberg, you, you spend a week there walking, you're slow before you even race, and then if you win the race, like, you want a rock. <laughs> it's like, here's your rock. But, you know, going and doing super-enduro, you know, it's pretty nice. You're racing in front of the arena. I can make money. You know, it's kind of nice. I, at the same time, I enjoy doing this, but I do have to try and make a living out of it. So that's why I do super-enduro and stuff like that, just because it actually pays us versus a lot of the hard-enduro stuff in Europe, where it's kind of just more like based on pride. But prepping for races, like last year, uh, the very first round of West was in Lagares. No one kept telling me how insanely hard it was, and how slippery it was, and it was probably more difficult than Earthberg. and, um, you know, so I went this year with that mentality thinking about that, and I qualified first as the first guy on the course, and in, in my mind I was thinking, okay, it's really hard, conserve yourself, and the first lap came by, and I went being in first to seventh, and I was like, what the hell? Like, I kind of, I don't know what's going on here, like, I was kind of defeated, and the second lap, I just went out and I sprinted the whole time, and I, I ended up getting back behind, passing, catching, uh two more guys. I, only, I got by Graham as well. but it didn't matter because they beat me on just a time at that point. But it made me realize to not think about what other people say about a race and focus on yourself, and if you're comfortable at a certain pace, stick to it. So, you know, my first lap, I was almost still fresh because I wasn't, I was saving up for something that never really came because it wasn't in the, the conditions were good, I guess. That's why it wasn't as hard. Right. But, you know, so from then, then after that, I came home and I feel like I got my butt whooped, even though I was still kind of roughly in the same time gap as the top guys. So when I went home, I just went out and hammered and just hit my extreme stuff as fast as I could over and over again to up my intensity. So, you know, you kind of realize that if there's a weak thing or. Whole program and try and maximize it. How does, we mentioned Super Enduro,
0: how does the Super Enduro being in an arena and the Enduro Cross here being in an arena, how, does that, how do those two series compare? Um, I have obviously never been to a Super Enduro. That's travel expenses that I can't afford. But I've been lucky enough to go to a couple of Enduro Crosses here in the States and it's always a great time. It's a lot of fun, even raced a couple in the answer class. But from what you've seen, what you've competed, you've been championship of both, you know, you've won both, how do they compare? You know,
1: the cross here is, is definitely good, it's it just kind of last, lost some of its uh, momentum in the last couple of years. I think that's mostly in part because of the whole hardener thing going in the States. And with it being primarily a West Coast series, I know a lot of guys on the East Coast want to do it, but financially it's tough to go to. And um, you know, with Superendro, it, it's just, you have all the different countries, so it's managed differently. So they have the prestige class, which is the top guys. And it's, I mean, it's the best guys in the world, minus a couple guys from the States. But you know, you have the top drill guys in the world and the competitions, a lot more can happen in those races. And it's further, people don't get tired. It's more of a sprint. So it's super wild. And the, the opening ceremonies are crazy. There's like fire breathing girls and people in leather and shooting sparks. I don't know, the, the opening ceremonies is bizarre compared to it's like a show on its own before we even get to race so I think that's really exciting and for the amateurs you know if we go to Spain or Hungary it's only people from that country they call it the Nasimos class so it's a lot easier for those people to race they kind of be like an Enduro class here in the States the final round a couple of times in Ontario they had a the District 36 people so like everyone they had a whole there was a reason for those local guys to show up and race it because there's a competition between them I think that's what's nice about Super Enduros, they have a national class because as uh, an amateur, they're not going to travel from Spain all the way to Hungary to do a race, but it's an incentive for the locals to show up and race it. So it's it's excitement all the way around and it's crazy. It's just far traveling for me, so I like EnduroCross because it's close. Okay, before we throw it to you guys to get another question,
0: first EnduroCross championship or first super enduro championship was better for you or one that made you feel a certain way?
1: I think the first enduro cross championship meant a lot more to me. I mean, super enduro was huge and the, the level of riders that were there that season was incredible and I squeaked away with it. But your first championship is hard to top that. So I'll take my first one. I like it. All right. Anybody, if Mr. Tri- oh, Mr. Mark
0: has the microphone. I do have a question. So
1: with most of the European extreme races, it seems like they're multiple days or they're long loops where we're not doing multiple uh, short loops. In the, in the U.S., we seem to be doing a lot of the knockout short loops. A lot of that's because of uh, land accessibility. So my question to you is, which one do you prefer? Because it seems like in the U.S., we're used to this. Talking to, to Wade and Mario it was it was totally different for them to, to understand that we're doing a lot of short loops. Yeah, I think for them, like Mario is like a, a fitness guy and he just loves going out and spending all day riding and I do too, but um, you know, it's just, it's more difficult like you said with land ride issues and yeah. somehow, well, I guess a lot of those extreme races in Europe are like, you know, in Romania, it's kind of free game and I know they're kind of cracking down on them a little bit last couple of years but um you know i enjoy these types of formats and it it beats the crap out of you these shorter ones but it, it's a different type of wearing you down it's just a high intensity short sprint kind of like in girl cross racing whereas those other races like romaniacs is all day and erzberg you have four hours of finish but that's still pretty much a sprint for those guys they're going after it so i don't know what i like more just I kind of like the longer stuff because people get spread out a little bit and you can mind your own business, whereas, uh, you know, the right here, uh, you can get bottlenecked pretty bad, some of those shorter bits, especially in that main last year, I was just like kind of forcing my way through people, so uh, I don't like doing that, but you have to, you know, if you're in the lead, so, you know, uh, I like, when I'm riding, practicing, exploring, I kind of just like going out and spending the time and seeing where I can end up. And racing, it's kind of scary sometimes. Like when I was in Brazil and I didn't see anyone for like two hours. And I was like, hmm, am I still on track? Or where <laughs> Yeah. So I like, the thing I like about races like this and TKO is the spectators can actually come and see stuff. And I think that's why in Europe you see these crazy prologues where they build all these crazy concoctions, because that's what the spectators get to see. They don't get to see any of stuff, so either one works.
0: Yeah, any more questions, Mr. Chris? Any more hands? I see one back there. If you could bring the microphone, that'd be fantastic. So when you went overseas, they told you it's Flick but you don't get that memo at Tennessee when you go there? Because it's slick there.
1: Yeah, I know. But <laughs> so you're good at it. Yeah. I I grew up riding in a nice little oasis in the Santa Cruz Mountains on my trials bikes. I learned about throttle control there.
0: I think to to kind of piggyback off of that, how do you treat those slick rocks? You know, we, we I've ridden the Tennessee Knockout and I've uh, been lucky enough to just video instead of roughing uh, a couple times and. It's a very strange thing because you're in the middle of the forest and it's 100 degrees, but the rocks are soaking wet because of the humidity. So how do you, and we've talked about momentum and things like that, but what what do you do, what do you change to attack rocks in that situation?
1: Yeah, like you, today you were watching me walk down, I mean the rocks here are pretty slippery too, and uh, especially with the water and mud on them right now. And I just try and look for stable rocks that I know aren't going to move on me or, not too deep of these but, you know, like medium-sized ones where I can kind of get stuck in a little wedge and ride out of it, so, um, I don't know, it all comes down to riding trials and wearing a sausage suit for way too much long growing up and being able to see different lines and options and, you know, a lot of times you see people riding in extreme stuff and they're always going through the rocks and just like wedging and scratching their the swing arm and bending their rotors. and I always you know I always kinda of look for the kind of the big flat rocks and stones that don't move that I know that are predictable. And another big thing is using the bike to your advantage, like uh, you know, you don't wanna go up on a big rock and just gas that you're just gonna spin. So you gotta use that kinda of use that flywheel and get your momentum ahead of time and let the momentum of the bike carry you over. It's just it doesn't have to overnight, it's just a lot of riding and getting a feel for things before you figure it out.
0: Right. You mentioned training. And I remember a time when we were, probably one of the first times that we got a chance to talk back in the day in seat time, you had mentioned how you had spent a lot of time practicing motocross, learning how to go fast. You had been, you even mentioned how you spent a lot of time learning bike control, learning throttle control in trials, but you had to learn how to ride fast. What does training look like for you? Like, how do you you mentally set up your day knowing that at the end of the day, you might have a race, or at the end of the week, you might have a race, or you're, I'm working towards getting faster on a motocross track because I know how that's going to relate to enduro cross because of the fact that I need more speed.
1: Well, I guess I'll just start with kind of what I've done since the beginning of this year. Uh, you know, we were having super enduro, and I've been raining a bunch on my house, so my track was pretty much flooded, and it didn't make any sense for me to try and race endurocross cross because it was just going to be a hard enduro course trying to ride around it. So I would just go to turn tracks, and riverbed bottoms that was sandy and just do motos because you can do the intensity and, and still maintain your speed and heart rate goes up high and you're going fast and charging. And as soon as I got home from the last Super Enduro race, I uh, picked up my two-stroke for the first time since Tennessee Knockout and basically was doing hard Enduro type stuff. And uh, once or twice a week I'd get out on my uh and basically do motos on my fourth stroke to get my intensity up. So I was doing a mixture of hard and drill riding, where you're learning the technique, trying to do everything right, being proper. I mean, you still get your heart rate up like crazy, don't get me wrong, but there's, and there's something different about going out and just pounding laps as fast as you can go because, you know, the, what we have here in the final ma- race is 30 minutes, so you want to go do as fast as you can, and it's, it's not about just hitting your marks, it's also about fitness as well. So, you know, leading up to this race, I've mostly just been, going out in ravines and creeks and pushing and pulling and riding stuff the best I can and then going out and doing a couple motos here and there to keep my intensity and fitness up. Uh,
0: We see all over Instagram, motocross, supercross racers, even yourself, riding bicycles. I am assuming that's just a cardio thing. Sometimes even maybe at a certain heart rate, you're doing it for recovery purposes. How do you use cycling to, you know, put on top of your dirt bike training? Well,
1: I, I use mountain biking for fun because I enjoy it and there's really good trails by where I live. And, you know, I don't kill myself going up the hill. Everything I do with on a bicycle is just kind of like base training. I don't want to... I get my high heart rate and where I strain my body on the bike doing as much as I can. So everything I do on the bike is just kind of building a strong base or maybe like even used to a little recovery. So. You know, when I'm riding my mountain bike, I'll just cruise up with my buddies up the hill and I don't kill myself and then I go down as fast as I can go. So it's kind of like practicing on my dirt bike as well and line choices and then I have a road bike as well and it's almost kind of like it's, everyone says they hate it and it's not very really fun and they ride it. it's not that fun but at the same time it's kind of like a self-meditation for me, you know, I kind of go out by myself and think about things. and. You know, I'll do some sprints here and there and charge hard, but everything I do on the bicycle is mostly just for basic fitness. You know, I don't want to kill myself when I'm on the bicycle, because I do that when I'm on the motorcycle.
0: Right. Uh, I'm going to start asking a couple nutrition questions, because I remember when riders like yourself were on seat time, like nutrition, we, we all kind of questioned that. Um, but before I did that, I wanted to see, if any, again, that we had anybody that wanted to get some amazing motion pro tools that had questions. Do you have a question? you want to ask, ask Cody? Webb ask a question? All right, will so get the microphone. Okay, you're after this guy, because you're moving too slow. Well, we'll get there. Yeah. See, he's got the microphone. I don't know. <laughs> I know they each have their place. Um, a lot of us in North Idaho are two-stroke guys. I just want to know your opinion on the now age-old question, two-stroke or four-stroke. What do you prefer? Um, not based on where it stands that you're
1: riding, just what do you prefer personally? Um, for what I enjoy riding the most, I like this one, two-stroke, um, all around, I like the two-stroke and I do love riding a two-stroke on the trials bikes and the worst years of my career on a trials bike where I almost was going to quit was on a four-stroke, so that answered that.
0: Well, that was actually way simple, more simple of an answer than I thought it would be. Ryan, would you like to go get the microphone and do this officially? Okay, well, then let's talk a little bit about nutrition. So, this is that world where we could talk about macronutrients and micronutrients and hDH and all the fun stuff that we see and, oh, my God, I'm cargo loading <laughs> Hey, you want to get in there? H D H when you sleep for recovery. You know what I'm talking about. But, what's nutrition? What does nutrition mean to you when you think about daily life and then riding? And... You can, get in, you can go weird and go crazy into how you treat that, or if there, there's just a level set of how you discuss nutrition to people,
1: what is that? So nutrition is a pretty big thing for me. I mean, it's not, like, the most crucial part of the thing I do, and obviously if you have a perfect uh, diet where you're just super strict and then you're like a robot and you don't, you're not in any fun. so you go with your friend somewhere and you're like, oh, I can't eat that. No, I'm sorry. You don't – I mean – I can be like that a little bit at times but I you know, I just try and be smart about my choices and I think a big part of that, uh, growing up, um, you know, my mom went to Costco and I survived off bagel bites and taquitos and uh, probably something else like that but like that's literally all I would eat all the time and those Click Builder Bars, I used, to eat, I used to eat so many of those, 20 grams of protein, yeah, but that's like, so still not necessary, it's too much but um, You know, so now everything is so processed. So When I go to the grocery store at home, I'm that person. I used to make fun of that person, but now I'm the person who goes and buys organic produce and stuff just because to me, I I don't want to put anything that could possibly be bad in my body and I don't eat perfect like that all the time, but at home I try and manage it the best I can. And a lot of people don't know this about me, but growing up when I was like 18, 19, just out of high school. I used to play basketball as well and I was still I was still wasn't really riding much and I just kinda of barely got my enduro bike and I don't know, I was confused in time at time in my life. I don't know. you just wore the soccer suit around the house like the all the time and you were like, I just like it. But you know, I would go to like Taco Bell every day and I'd go you know, I'd be run trials and I'd go for the summer and just eat fast food all the time and Next thing you know, like, I looked down one day with my shirt off, and I was like, what the, what happened to me? And, you know, I'm pretty tall, but, like, next thing you know, I went on the scale, and I was 225 pounds, which, I mean, isn't that bad, but for a poor racer, that's, that's heftier than hef- western Pike, I'd say. I don't know how to you yeah. So, I don't know, next thing you know, I just started running, and... I got down to almost too skinny. So right now I'm 185. So that's a pretty big gap from 225 pounds to 185. And that was just from eating better and cycling and just making better life choices and things. And a lot of times people spend all this money revalving their bike, putting titanium on, doing all these crazy things. And I'm like, well, if you just save money by not doing all that and eating better you'd, and lose some weight, you can ride a lot better and not only will you be lighter and be able to move the bike better, you'll be more fit and your results will improve without having to spend all that extra money on your bike for fancy doodads. So it's kind of the, the cold hard truth, but you know, quite a few years ago I wasn't that fit and out of shape and um, when I first kind of was doing a drill class and I was just, I was a good rider, I just didn't have the stamina. And, you know, being able to eat healthier, make better life choices, and exercising, and putting in the hard work. I mean, it takes, it just takes time and effort, basically. But eventually, it all starts coming together.
0: Um, we could try to get your uh, your food program and say, hey, exactly when do you eat this and that before a race? Because I know a lot of a lot of people wonder how do how and why do people eat a certain way during an event. Now, an event like this where you do have kind of a, you know hour and a half, two hour long race, and then it gets shorter, and then it gets shorter to 30 minutes, you know, when and how do you fuel your body uh, throughout the day for those kind of things?
1: Yeah, so I was pretty fortunate a while ago to do some trials training schools with the owner of Hammer Nutrition, and he's given me a lot of insight through the years, basically, and Everyone, there's so many different diets out there, and who knows what's right or what's wrong. But I think it's more about what works best for you. So I kind of do a, a little bit more of a high protein, high carb, and or no, high protein, high fat, and not so much carb diet. Because you know, carbs mostly like breads and pastas. A lot of people do that, but the content of your calories isn't as high as, as compared to protein or or fats and you know, we, I kind of go with the primal side of things that like we grew, or our ancestors, you know, they survived off meat and uh, veggies and scavenging for things, basically, you know what I mean? So primarily nuts and seeds are high in protein and fat. Animals are high in protein and fat. So I kind of go with that whole side of things. I still have carbs. It's a good, quick snap of energy source. Um, so, you know, on race day, I will probably have a really big breakfast few hours or so before we race and I use that to kind of fuel me and for me personally if I eat something and then I go straight into a workout I get late like a weird lightheaded dizziness and I think it's because the blood's going into my stomach to digest the food instead of my brain to think about so if I've eaten a big meal two hours ahead of time I get that feeling out of my system and I can charge hard and I have that energy to keep going. All right, well, not to get too
0: deep in nutrition. I see a gentleman that has a microphone in his hand again, so I know it's getting colder, so let's get some more questions from you guys. We could just double it up. Let's just get all kinds of questions, and then we'll let Terry Webb go warm up with us. So you talk about people buying doodads for bikes. You know, the, the bikes improve every year. You know, we all know this. We've all played with them. How big of a problem would it be for you to ride a three-year-old bike? Get rid of the, the new fancy doodads, Go back to like this is picked three years ago, and does that make me non competitive?
1: So, I really like that 2016 bike I had. To be honest. <laughs> yeah, that was a really good bike that year, but uh, no, yeah, I know what you mean. And I've ridden uh, the stock bike, I mean, my bike has cool doodads on it. The coolest part for sure is the factory suspension on it. But I've ridden uh, my extreme trail with bone stock suspension before, and I still think I almost rode up my extreme stuff faster than what I could on this stuff, but the good thing about having the factory stuff is all around it makes it better, so you know I can do the extreme stuff and the faster stuff a little bit with this. But for sure, you know, being on an older bike is not going to be the best. Everyone wants the latest and greatest. but You know, this bike still is not so different from the last couple years. I think we'll see a big change next year with the bikes, and and then that's when I'll tell you, you need to step it up and get the new one. But, uh, you know, it definitely helps having a lot of the suspension and stuff. But as a whole, I mean, besides my S.M.S. pipe and uh, muffler, it's my motor settings and everything is exactly what you can buy on the showroom floor on this bike. Any other questions? All right. Yeah, the mapping on this bike, from what I know of, is the same as what everyone else has currently. <laughs> yeah, so for me, um, they're really nice to have with you're barreling through trees. I guess when you crash, they're really nice to have, too. But a lot of times we run those uh, arc unbreakable levers so if you fall you don't have to worry about that so much anymore and then for me it's more of like a rider feel feedback thing with the wrap around some of them have a kind of rubber mounted things that allows them to flex a little bit but basically it makes the handlebars a lot more rigid and you feel a lot more of the little things compared to having like the normal tapered bar and get that feel what do you guys think? Any more questions or are we
0: ready to, to let everybody go warm up by a fire? All right, cool. Well, Mr. Cody Webb, thank you for coming. Where can people find you if they do not already follow you on the social media?
1: Uh, Instagram, Facebook. I'm trying, I'm trying to YouTube things more often now. People. get a live live? Just, It takes a lot of time. <laughs> well, talking. I'd rather just like film me riding around, someone film me do things and I'll put pieces together.
0: I like it. Well, uh, definitely what is it? Cody Web Two on Instagram I think. What are your
1: Yeah, Cody Web Two, not Cooper Web Two, not that guy. Cody Web Two on Instagram. Uh Cody Webb something on YouTube. I don't know. Just type in Cody Webb somewhere and you'll find it I guess. I like it. Well I appreciate
0: it. Thank you very much to Red Bull and of course Motion Pro for giving away some of the stuff for you guys for coming to the Bull Limiter streaming drill this year. I'm Brian Pierce. You can find some of the stuff that I do at seat time. So, seetime.co or anywhere on YouTube, just search the Time You see cool shit on dirt bikes.
1: Yeah, you can see if you look in the archives of seetime. There's probably some stuff uh, of us talking that was partially non politically correct. So yeah, that's where it got a little bit more weird. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you.